0: Well, hello there. Welcome to another edition of Making Money with the financial coach, Ron Hebert, retired portfolio manager. I'm Gord Whitehead, sidekick, retired broadcaster. Ron, before we get into the meat of part two of the waiting game, we wanted to pass along a little information to our listeners here, and I'll give you the stage.
1: We have our Making Money Minute, which is the minitorial that I do twice a day on CFCW Radio, and now you can get that delivered to your computer we're on spotify we're also on apple and with we've got a couple of technical things that we need to take care of but this podcast as well will be on spotify and apple so making money and making money minute uh, you'll be able to get them delivered directly to your inbox and so you won't have to hunt around for them every episode will be delivered right to you so uh it's a good way to go if you like to regularly listen to the show So uh, give us another week or two. We've got a couple technical things that we've got to go to get the podcast up, but it's on its way.
0: So we're kind of like crocodiles in that regard. We're slow and steady wins the race. We eventually get there.
1: (laughs) Gord, you're a crocodile. I'm a Neanderthal. There's a difference.
0: (laughs) Okay, we're, we're talking about crocodiles versus hummingbirds, crocodiles being the investors that wait for the great opportunities to come along They pounce, they've done their homework, they know where they want to be, they've maybe got some money set aside, they can move in and and take a decent position and, and sit back and wait patiently. And you alluded to the fact that there are opportunities that come along, and we don't know when those opportunities are going to happen, and history is littered with those.
1: I sat down and looked at over the past 25 years, some of the really exceptional opportunities where we've had enormous meltdowns, and if over the last 25 years you were able to participate even in two or three of them and in a significant way, you could have created enough wealth to take in your right to retirement. Just to give you some examples, in 1997 we had the Edmonton real estate meltdown. I remember that year, I think there was about 30 or 40 houses that were over $400,000 that sold that year. The markets completely froze up, and houses were trading way below the replacement cost. If you bought in that year, you probably have at least a triple since then. In 1998, we had emerging markets collapse. In fact, Russia defaulted on its debt. Here again, if you bought an emerging markets fund, you would have seen your money triple and quadruple since that point. 2000, we had the tech wreck. Oh,
0: boy, I remember that one well.
1: Oh, you know, that market gourd dropped 80%. And literally, the market was down, the NASDAQ index was down at around 1,000 points. Today, that market is up at 10,000. So you would have had a 10-bagger if you'd taken a significant position in tech stocks back in 2000. Also in 2000, you had just the overall global markets were down 49%. 2007, stock markets globally dropped 56%. In 2008, home prices in Nevada, Arizona, and Florida dropped between 50 and 75%. They were trading at
0: 25 cents on the dollar. That was the big market meltdown, right? The financial collapse, if you will. Exactly. Yeah. And I know that was an opportunity, and you alluded to this. You, you took some action and bought some real estate at that time, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I bought uh, considerable, uh, took a considerable position in rental houses uh, in Nevada in 2010 to 2012. Also, I ended up buying houses and flipping them back then because many of them were just deserted. The banks weren't doing anything. You could come in, clean them up put a little bit of landscaping in them because especially out in the desert if they turn off your water everything dies so with a little bit of work we ended up uh for about six or seven years buying and flipping houses which work real great but here again today that opportunity is gone most people especially there's so many shows on television uh about how to flip houses that most people if they buy a house and they do the work themselves they're, they're lucky if they're working for labor. You okay. know, carrying on with our theme, 2009, you had uh, Portugal, Italy, Greece, and Spain. There was a huge economic collapse. Greek bonds hit 20% yields. A couple of years later, we had gold bullion. In 2012, it hit uh, 2000, almost $2,000 an ounce. Then over the next, uh, I think, about six years, it dropped to about 1000 And now it's rallied back again. 2014, we had oil at $120 a barrel, and it dropped down to about $30 a barrel. 2018, we had the cannabis implosion, where after Trudeau and the liberals legalized it in the fall of 18, it literally dropped off a cliff, and many of the cannabis companies have gone bankrupt. The index itself dropped way over 50%, 2018 as well. Bitcoin got really hot. Uh, Bitcoin went up to $20,000 and it dropped 76% from peak to trough. 2020, we had oil went from $60 a barrel and it was trading at negative numbers, almost uh, negative $30 a barrel. Also in 2020, we had the COVID-19 pandemic which crushed global stocks and pushed them down by about 33%. So you can see, over the years, there's been lots of opportunities. If you've had a little bit of patience, there are some incredible opportunities where even if you were to uh, take even a portion of your portfolio and put it in there when that happened, uh, you would have done extraordinarily well for yourself.
0: So as you say, opportunity knocks more regularly than you might think.
1: That is a truism, Gord.
0: Okay, now the wait can be long, and, and you've talked about that. This, this isn't going to happen as frequently as you'd like. Let's put it that way. Maybe you, have to, you do have to sit back and be patient and wait for those opportunities.
1: That's why you don't want to put all your money in just one thing, because you can wait quite a while before uh, this can happen, that you get the move that you think that uh, is going to push these markets higher. For example... The the Nikkei Index in Japan, it peaked in 1989 at 39,000. It didn't bottom finally until 2009, where it hit a low of 8,000. And now it's about 20,000. So, I mean, you're looking at uh, literally 30 years there. The Shanghai Index, which is the main index in uh, China, it hit a high of 6,000 back in 2006, and today it's about 3,200. So it's taken some time for that market to turn around. Look at the Canadian US dollar. Back in 2003, it was trading at 62 cents.
0: Oh, don't we remember those days well? Holy smokes.
1: Yeah. And then it peaked against the US dollar at 104. And that happened in 2007. Then it dropped off. And then it came back up in 2012. And recently, if you go back over the last couple of months, our Canadian dollar has been trading between 69 and 76 cents. It's rallied recently, but still, you know, it's taken um, literally over the, over the last 17 years, it's had it's had two peaks. So if you're buying the Canadian dollar, buying the U.S. dollar, and you're waiting for opportunity, well, it doesn't come around every day. So you want to diversify, and as these opportunities come along, you put some money in it, but you diversify because the risk this strategy is that sometimes you can end up waiting quite a while to get the result you want.
0: That's a play that I think some people might be contemplating making, Ron, around the U.S. election, as an example, depending on how things go down there. Could the U.S. dollar fall, or do you think it could rally? Like, that, that's a gamble you'd have to take, right?
1: Well, I think the competition is who's going to spend more money, the U.S. government or the Canadian government. And uh, so far, uh, the U.S. government, which is a lot further in debt, seems to be spending at about the same rate as Canada is, but we've, we're in a much better economic position to start. But I think the U.S. dollar, because it's, they've been running deficits a lot longer than we have, uh, frankly, and it looks like no matter who gets in, whether Trump or the, the Democrats gets in, that we're going to see continued deficit spending for about as far far as the eye can see. And if that happens, well, that means that uh, we could see the U.S. dollar certainly weaken. And so, you know, is it possible that we see another run uh, to par or even higher on the Canadian dollar? I think so.
0: Okay. Let's talk about individuals making great crocodiles.
1: Well, patience is hard for a professional money manager to practice because the pressure is always on from their clients to continually be doing something. And unfortunately, busyness is not a prerequisite for wealth. But, you know, if if you sit there every day and you read 100 research reports and you're waiting for the opportunity, you're not doing something. Well, clients generally equate busyness or activity in the account with um, you're looking after it. So the task is much easier for the solo investor to be patient because the only pressure they have is on themselves. So hard for a professional manager to do some of these things unless you're going with a guy like Warren Buffett, you buy some shares of Berkshire Hathaway. Otherwise, the best way to be a crocodile, frankly, is to be a solo crocodile.
0: Okay, and you also point out here that waiting doesn't necessarily mean falling asleep as part of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, so many people think that a crocodile spends their time playing golf or kayaking or going for long walks or hanging out at the bar and watching football games. But uh, being a crocodile is a lot of work. And to, to be a good crocodile, there's definitely a process to doing this. And the first is to make a list of the home runs you hit. In other words, you want to make a list of the things that you've been successful at, that you were able to recognize, that you took advantage of, you saw what was coming, you analyzed it through successfully. Also, you want to make a list of home runs you missed and look at why you were not able to assess the situation. Was it because you didn't have money at the time or you were preoccupied or, frankly, maybe you just didn't have enough information and it was not one of your strengths? So, you want to ask why you took advantage of some situations and not others. And then you want to determine your investment strengths. You want to look at it. Is it stocks? Is it real estate? Is it construction? Is it lending? Is it private small business? Where are you strong? And that's where you, want to, you really want to focus. In those areas, you aren't so strong. For example, uh, when we started uh, buying houses and flipping them in Nevada, I had a friend who was looking for a partner, and he was very, very strong on the the execution side of things. He he had some crews that could come in and do the work. I was a little better on the analytical side, so I did the analytics. He actually did the physical work, and I did I did a fair bit of the accounting and so on. So we made a great team. But I understood that I that the nuances of that market I didn't understand completely, and he did so. By, by teaming up with him, I was able to go in with someone who, who had skills that uh,
0: certainly I lacked. Now, this could be an, an example of when we talked about investment clubs. Maybe, there's somebody in, maybe you're in an investment club and there's somebody that understands, for instance, the energy sector better than you do, just as an example. That's what you're talking about, right?
1: It's a good way. In fact, investment clubs are a good way to... Find out who is successful at various things and you can kind of use it as a clearinghouse so you might be putting money in every month with a group of investors, but you'll find that there's certain people in the club that have certain expertise and there's nothing saying that or stopping you from uh, meeting with that person and going up and setting up something outside the investment club where you can you can work together and, and maximize both of your strengths.
0: You have a note typed here for me, research, 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 be prepared. So research cubed, not just squared.
1: <laughs> You've really got to do your homework because if you're committing uh, oversized amounts of capital to something, you have to make a checklist. We're g- our next show is going to be on an uh, initial public offerings, and initial public offerings can make you a lot of money if you're buying new companies that are coming to the market, but a lot of people absolutely get crucified, and there's some obvious things that they get so excited about, they just forget that there's certain factors that they don't bother looking at. So literally, you've got to have a checklist of things that you you, you go down, and you almost have to make this um, almost like a business where it's methodical. You check that off. Well, this works. Well, this is a risk. So you have to... Understand the risks thoroughly, and you have to look and say, Are these risks I can't control? Are these risks I can control? What is the upside, but what is the downside? And you only get that by really being prepared and doing your homework.
0: Last point here is is to patiently wait for the waste, if you will, a polite term, to hit the fan, and then you go.
1: Yeah, so the doo doo is going to hit the fan. Actually, in the volatile world that we're living in, markets are have bigger downs and bigger ups. So, and and in the last 20 years, there's much more opportunity than there's been in the past because markets either really like something or they seem to really dislike it. And so, you know, you can see stocks move 10 to 15% in a day if their earnings don't meet expectations by even a little bit. So because of this extra volatility, if you're patient and you wait because Sooner or later, you know, the doo-doo's going to hit the fan, and that's when you go crazy.
0: Final note that you had on this one was the race is not won by the swift, but by the patiently prepared. We don't know who said that, but boy, that's a pretty good statement.
1: And if you want to be a crocodile, that is the essence of our discussion today, is being patiently prepared.
0: Okay, well, there you go. Hopefully, you're going to become a crocodile. And when you get a chance to eat, eat well. Now, you mentioned we're going to talk about uh, IPOs, it, initial public offerings. There's some ups and some downs here, right, Ron, just to give a little preview of our next episode?
1: And what we're going to try and do is we're going to try and explain how the IPO market works. And, and uh, we're going to give you a checklist where if you want to participate in initial public offerings, that we've got a very, very simple checklist that you can go through and that will really cut down the risk So increase your probability of picking a winner and also uh, identifying those companies that you just don't want to touch with a barn pole.
0: Okay, so there you go. Back next week with another edition of Making Money. Remember, as Ron mentioned at the top of the show, his Making Money minutes are now available on Apple iTunes and Spotify, and we're in the process of working to get the whole podcast library up there, some technical things that we're dealing with, but we're working on it. If you have a question for us, you can reach us through our website at letsmakemoney.ca or also through our fence at cfcw.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of Making Money. On behalf of the financial coach, Ron Hebert, I'm Gord Whitehead. We'll join you then. The information presented is derived from sources believed to be reliable. This material is presented for information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. Before acting on any investment information, a person should seek advice from an investment professional. The presenters may or may not hold positions in the securities discussed on this show and will not be responsible for any losses sustained from acting on this information.